Well, it's a joy to be here in Corvallis and to be here with you all tonight. I love Corvallis. My first year with the St. John's Society was here. Um, right after giving my first yes to the Lord, I lived here in the house with, at that time, Father Ignacio, Father Federico Pinto, mm-hmm. and Father Ivan came halfway through the year. Uh, so it was an amazing year, and I had so many fond memories of Corvallis. And of course, we'd come back every summer. So when I got word that I would be back here this year, I was really overjoyed. Um, Tonight, we're going to speak about the habit of joy. You know, this last year, uh, as Jay mentioned, I was living in Washington, D.C. with the other theologians. There were six of us studying theology at the Dominican House of Studies. And I I don't want to brag, but I think we're the best grocery shopping team in the world. Uh, We would go once a week. So we would drive across town to go to class each day. And on Friday afternoons on our way back from class, we'd stop at the grocery store and John Potts would hand out the, um, the list to each person. Each person had their zone in the grocery store. We would get in there, divide and conquer. And we had it down to where every week we were getting to the checkout stand in eight minutes. And that was our one grocery shopping for the week. So we got in and, and got out. They say that some people go grocery shopping, they're like uh, hunters and others like scavengers. So we were, we were more like hunters than scavengers. So one day we get to the checkout line and we were greeted by a cashier who's this tall, black, beautiful, maybe 60 year old black woman. And she had this huge smile on her face and she greeted us with so much warmth. So we started talking and, and pretty soon I asked her, you're a Christian, aren't you? And she said, oh, I love the Lord. And, and so we started, we kept talking. And after a while I said, you know, it's so amazing that the Lord placed you here in this job working at this supermarket because you can just bless every person that comes past. She said, honey, I've blessed 130 people already today. So she was just a woman who irradiated joy. Right, right away, she reached out her hands when we finished talking, and she grabbed her hands, and we said a prayer right there in the, in the middle of the supermarket. And the woman behind us in line, we finished, and she said, amen, that's, that's what the Lord deserves. So this woman, she lifted our spirits up. It was a Friday afternoon after a long, a long week of studies. But you meet someone like that, and they radiate joy. And that kind of joy is contagious. It's effusive. There's a power in joy. Nehemiah, who was a great leader of the people of Israel, who brought them, helped bring them back from the exile and reconstruct Israel, he said to them at one point, do not be saddened this day. For rejoicing in the Lord is your strength. And there's a proverb, Proverbs 17, 22, that says, A joyful heart is the health of the body, but a depressed spirit dries up the bones. And it's true, isn't it? Joy gives us strength. It gives us energy. Tonight, we're going to look at what St. Paul has to teach us about the habit of joy. And to do so, we're going to read Philippians 3, Sorry, Philippians 4, 4 through 8. 
This, I think, is one of the most beautiful sections in the whole Bible. It's a verse to memorize. And if you have a bad memory, it's a verse to get a tattoo. Uh, because it's so good and it's one you can come back to time and time again. So let's, let's say a prayer and read this verse. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us through your word tonight. Through this great apostle of joy, St. Paul. I thank you for your holy word. pray that it would instruct us. Send your Holy Spirit upon us and make us docile to your word. May it penetrate our hearts tonight, Lord. Give us a gift of rejoicing in you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bible, you can read along with me. This is Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I shall say it again, Rejoice. Your kindness should be known to all. The Lord is near. Have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is anything, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Then the God of peace will be with you. It's beautiful, isn't it? So first we're going to study what joy is and then several keys to how we can live out that joy and we're just going to follow saint paul's text line by line phrase by phrase verse by verse so keep your bibles open there and we'll work our way through so first what joy is the first verse that we read here saint paul said rejoice in the lord always that word always is so important because it tells us that the joy that he's speaking of here doesn't depend on favorable external circumstances. Those favorable external circumstances change. Rather, he's speaking about a kind of inside-out joy. A joy that rises up from within, and that's much more durable. I think that we experience the need for that these days because we've experienced so much uncertainty in the external world. One year ago, no one could have anticipated the effects of COVID. No one could have anticipated that everything would come to a screeching halt. No one could have anticipated, I don't think, the, the riots that we've been experiencing. Well, outside in the world, there's a lot of uncertainty. And so we need a source of joy that's stable and that springs up from within. That's what St. Paul calls joy in the Lord. 
St. Paul himself had this kind of inside-out joy. He can speak with a lot of authenticity about this, with a lot of authority, because when he's writing this letter to the Philippians, he's writing from prison. And he doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. But he exhorts them, rejoice in the Lord always, no matter the circumstances. This is a, the reason this is possible is because the source of joy is the Lord and our relationship with Him. And that's not jeopardized by external challenges. Another implication of this, a first implication, is that the biggest obstacle to joy is sin. If we cling to something that's separating us from the Lord, well, there's no spiritual technique, there's no method, there's nothing that I can teach you to, uh, to achieve this joy if, if you're not ready to let go of that. If there's something that's keeping us from Christ, there's no trick. There's nothing in scripture, there's nothing a psychologist can teach you. There's nothing that can give us joy if we don't choose Christ. But if we choose him, there's a lot the scriptures can teach us. So we have to choose him and choose joy. St. Paul continues in the next phrase, again, I will say rejoice. So he insists. He even gives us a command, rejoice. So this brings up the question, can we be commanded to rejoice? Does that even make sense? I mean, could someone say to you, feel sad or feel angry or feel happy? I don't know. It's not that we can just, you know, press a button and all of a sudden feel happy or feel sad or feel angry, can we? There are certain things that cause us to be angry or sad or joyful. So we might say, okay, Paul, you know, you tell me to rejoice. Great. I would love to rejoice. Who wouldn't love to, to be joyful all the time? But show me where the button is and I'll press it. It's not so simple. So here it's going to be helpful to reach back to the philosophy of one of the great classic philosophers who you may have heard of. His name is Aristotle. He's an ancient Greek philosopher that lived during the time of Alexander the Great, several hundred years before the coming of Christ. And he had a very clear understanding of the structure of a human being and our internal world. So he said that there are three components. One is the intellect or the mind. A second is the will. The will is what allows us to decide, to choose. It's our power of acting. So we have the intellect or the mind and the will. And then we have what he called the passions or what we might call now the emotions like fear and anger and joy and hope. And those are kind of on the threshold between the soul and the body. So he asks the question, what's the relationship between our mind and our will and our passions? He says that, well, the mind and the will, they do have the capacity to direct the passions, but not in an absolute and direct way. 
my will can decide, can command my body in a, in a pretty much direct way. Like if I will to raise my right hand, it goes up. No questions asked, right? Or if I will to shake my head, well, I shake my head. There's, there's an immediate control that my will has over my body, at least some functions of my body. He says that the will does also rule over our emotions, but not like a despot, not like a, a dictator or a king, but rather democratically. That is, the will guides the emotions by convincing the emotions and by um, making certain decisions that lead us in a, in a certain direction. So first we can consider that this first part of, of convincing. It's not that I can just snap my fingers and, just, and decide to re be rejoiced, but I can consider the reasons that I have for rejoicing. You know, I can choose to think about those things. A couple of weeks ago, for example, we celebrated Corpus Christi, the, the solemnity of the body and blood of Christ. Well, I can think about the fact that as a Catholic, I can receive the body and blood of my Lord. And he gives me through those eternal life. That's a good reason to rejoice, isn't it? Or I can consider the fact that because I received his body and blood, I will never die. My body will pass away, but I have eternal life because that's the promise of the Lord. He said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will never die. Well, that's a way that the mind can influence the emotions. I choose to think on certain things that are true. It's not a matter of tricking myself. It's not a matter of, uh, of fabricating this joy. It's choosing to think about things that are really true, about how things really are. I have eternal life waiting for me. And my emotions respond. Joy rises up spontaneously, not always immediately. But the more I contemplate those things, the more I tend to rejoice. A second way that the intellect and that the will can influence our emotions and allow us to rejoice is by making decisions. It's true that I can't just decide to rejoice right now, but I can make the kind of decisions now that will lead me to rejoice in the future. Let me give you an example. Any one of us might wake up grumpy in the morning. Some people might wake up grumpy every morning. I think, I don't know, I, I don't see too many grumpy faces out there. I see a lot of smiling faces, but some of us might wake up grumpy just about every morning. Well, let's say you wake up really grumpy. Someone with a lot of self-mastery, with a lot of uh, control over their emotions, might just take a deep breath and shake it off and, and push that grumpiness away and just rejoice right there. But most of us don't have that kind of self-mastery. I know I don't. So for me, I know I'm gonna have to fight a little bit harder. I have to make some decisions. So I can decide, well, either I'm gonna give in to this grumpiness and the first person that crosses my path, I'm gonna to complain to them or I'm gonna bark at them or bite their head off. And I'm gonna put on my grumpy face and I'm gonna stomp through the day. Well, and then we're feeding that. And that's how our decisions 
lead us on the path to grumpiness. But I could also, from the very first moment of the day, decide, okay, Lord, I'm grumpy today, but just help me out. Lead me out of this. I'm going to do my best. And the first person I meet, I'm going to smile at them. And I'm not going to complain. And I'm going to try to love and be kind. And, but you help pull me out of this. And sometimes we have to keep fighting for a while. And sometimes we have to keep fighting all day because it's a bad day. But many times, the Lord starts to lead us out. And the more we make those kinds of decisions, the more quickly he tends to lead us out. And we begin to form the habit of joy. So now we've seen the fundamental structure of joy, that it's something inside out. It's a rejoicing in the Lord. It's something we don't have direct control of, but that we can influence in the long run by thinking a certain way and by making the right kind of decisions. Now let's look at four keys to growing in the habit of joy. So we're going to keep following St. Paul here. If you have your Bibles, read along. He says in the next verse, Your kindness should be made known to all. This is the most important of all. Love is the most important key. Joy is the byproduct of love. That's a spiritual law. You can write it down. Joy is the byproduct of love. And actually, we shouldn't strive so much to be joyful. We should strive to love. And joy will take care of itself. From time to time, we can look inwards and we can ask, okay, are there some obstacles that are keeping me from rejoicing? Am I sad? Am I grumpy? Am I happy? Why? What are the causes? But most of the time, we should just be loving. And and joy is the natural result of love. We should forget about ourselves and forget about being happy and just love. When, we, when we're wrapped up in ourselves, we become like a stagnant swamp. But when we give ourselves away, when we love, when we pour ourselves out, we become like a flowing river. And the gurgling sound of that river is joy rising up in our hearts. So the first key And the most important key is love. In the next verse, St. Paul says, the Lord is near. This is our second key. This is a huge reason to rejoice, isn't it? We said at the very beginning that by thinking about certain things, joy will begin to rise up. So a huge reason that we have to rejoice is that the Lord is near. He's with us. He said before he rose before he ascended into heaven, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the promise of the Lord who doesn't lie. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. When, when we're with good friends, we tend to rejoice, don't we? We tend to be happy. When I was in high school, I had to take driver's ed, as maybe many of you did. And objectively speaking, it was such a boring class. But my best friend Ross was in that class. And I just looked forward to going to driver's ed every week because I love being with my friend Ross. And we, I think, gave a terrible time to that professor, but 
We loved being there. Well, I have good news. And that is, we can always be with Christ. And he's with us all the time. And he's our best friend. You know, he loves to be with us. And his joy is contagious. He's the most joyful man that ever walked this earth. That's true, isn't it? I mean, he, he conquered death. He rose from the dead. He has a lot to rejoice about. His mother is a Virgin Mary. He lived in full consciousness in every moment that he's the son of God. He, he felt God's loving gaze on him at every moment. He's the most joyful man ever to set foot on this earth. And he's with us. So when we pay attention to his presence with us, his joy starts to rub off on us. And he starts to lift us up, as any good friends would. When we're with joyful people, they lift us up. Well, Christ is with us. And he's in a good mood. And he loves to be with you. So one key to joy is taking stock of his presence with us throughout the day. We can do that in many ways. One, by repeating his name at any moment. Jesus. Jesus. And it helps us to remember that he's with us, that he sees us and hears us. It's very easy to become aware of his presence when we're doing simple tasks that don't require a lot of thinking. Last week, Father Matias was giving me a tour around St. Mary's campus and he showed me the secret key that he uses to, to unlock the water spigot to water the grass every evening. And he said, you know, I love coming out here every evening to water the grass. It's such a peaceful moment. Well, it is because those are the moments when we can just be there and watch the sprinkler go and be with the Lord, be in his presence. I bet you didn't know that's why the grass is so green, did you? How your pastor getting out there every night to water it. So let's be attentive to the Lord's presence this week. We know by faith that he's with us. Well, let's pay more attention. Let's repeat his name, stop, make a minute of silence a few times in the day. Recall that he's with us, that he, lo that he loves us. He's with you right now, in this moment, wherever you are. If you're in your backyard, enjoying the evening, or if you're locked in your room because your family won't let you out because of COVID, wherever you are, the Lord's with you. Good. The third key that St. Paul gives us comes in the following verses. This one's longer. He says, have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. One of the biggest barriers to joy is anxiety. You know, sometimes we have all the objective conditions for rejoicing. Things are going well in our lives. We know the Lord. We want to serve him. We live a life of prayer and grace. And we're surrounded by blessings, but anxiety robs our joy from us, doesn't it? When we let it. We get worried about many things. 
It's like the joy is there beneath the surface, like a, a spring, but a spring of water, but it's, it's stuck. It doesn't come to the surface and, and anxiety robs it from us. Well, St. Paul teaches us how to respond when we experience anxiety. He says, in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. We're like those little fishing boats that go out in Alaska. And they can go out for one or two or three days. And if they have a good catch, after two or three days, they have to go back to the mothership and unload. Because they're not built to carry so much. We're just like that. We're not built to carry many worries or concerns at a time. Just one day. And then we need to go unload to the Lord. Throughout the day, and especially at night, we should never go to bed at night with anxieties on our hearts. We should never go to bed at night carrying our worries. We need to be like those little fishing boats that go and unload all our cargo to the Lord every night. Because He's capable of carrying them, but we're not. We're really not meant to carry much. Just what we have within our, in our grasp. Just what we have each day. The rest we unload to Him. So throughout the day, when you feel anxiety rising up, close your eyes and imagine yourself placing that worry in God's hands and His strong, capable hands. And give it to Him. The Mass is a very important moment to cast all our cares on the Lord. In the moment of the offertory, when they bring forward the bread and the wine, or when the bread and the wine are set on the altar, there we give the Lord all our, our worries. We place them there, and He takes care of them. So St. Paul says, In everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And that way, anxiety won't rob us of our joy. It belongs to us as Christians. The fourth key we find in the following verses. St. Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So, St. Paul says, think about these things. We saw this already, the power of attending to certain things and not to others. He says, think about whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, whatever is true. We have to pay attention to what we allow in. And we need to be humble. You know, um, allowing a lot of garbage into our minds, like garbage media, garbage TV, garbage news, it deteriorates our joy. I especially want to mention the news because I think that it's a real danger to watch the news too often. Especially in this time when we're stuck at home more because news, one, it tends to be sensational. Two, they tend to pay attention to everything that's going wrong. And three, even if it's good, honest reporting, too much of it is just not good for us. Why? Because we can't do anything about most of it. We need to watch or read just enough of the news to be able to pray and intercede for the world as Christians. 
and to make responsible decisions. And then why fill ourselves up with a bunch of things that even if they're important, we can't do a lot about. It just builds up anxiety and worry. Instead, we need to fill ourselves up with, as St. Paul, whatever is gracious, whatever is beautiful, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. We need to fill our souls with good things, with good books, with the Word of God, with good conversations. Well, we live in, in one of the most beautiful states in the country. It's hard for me to admit because I'm from Washington, but Oregon is, is a beautiful, beautiful state. Well, if you have the capacity to get out, go, go drive through Corvallis, go drive through the fields, make your way up 99, it's beautiful. Go get out to a mountain, go for a hike, go visit a river. Those sort of things are good for our soul. They nourish us and they build up our joy. Have good conversations. Well, go soak it in. The world needs our joy. It does. There's so much confusion and a lot of anger right now. And you know that anger at first has a really intense energy that accompanies it, almost as joy does. But then anger almost always passes into sadness. It burns itself out. And what's left is sadness and depression. There's so much anger in our country right now. And I won't be surprised if that burns itself out and it results in a lot of sadness. So we need to be apostles of joy. Like that woman I described at the beginning, we need to light up people's lives. Let's get rid of our pessimism. Let's get rid of our complaining. Let's rejoice in the Lord and bring the light of joy to the people around us because they need it. Our families need it, especially the ones stuck in the house with us. Our, our friends need it. The people that we connect to by Zoom, the people that we see. St. Paul says this later on in this letter. He says, do everything without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine like lights in the world. Well, the world needs us to be light. It's not a question of removing ourselves from the brokenness and the, and the sorrow of the world. It's a question of committing with it and bringing the light of Christ there. We're not talking about a, a naive, childish joy, but a strong Christian joy. So we need to be here, be here in this town of Corvallis and bring the joy of the Lord to this place. Amen.